Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991. From the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the dumpster direct video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Queen's Logic. Thank you for joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. In Queen's Logic, Ray, played by Ken Olin, is about to get married and his friends all get together for his bachelor party. Of the close-knit group, Al, played by Joe Mantegna, is seen as the one with the best life, but when his wife leaves him, everyone starts questioning what direction their lives are taking. Screenplay by Tony Spiridakis, directed by Steve Rash, and released on February 1st, 1991. Have you seen Queen's Logic before? No, I haven't, and I've never heard of this movie before. I've only heard of it because I know we have a copy of it. Oh. <laughs> so Wait, it was we donated have a, we to have a VHS? We, I think we have a DVD copy of it. How? Oh. Uh, how? <laughs> uh, I think a friend just gave it to us in a in like a batch of stuff that they were just giving away. Oh, okay. Same with Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon just came from a friend that whatever that just gave it. Um, so yeah, uh, neither of us watched that DVD copy though because this is I think only the second time we're watching a movie separately. Uh, uh, yeah, separately. But this is also the first time that we're recording in separate locations. So I'm going to sound weird for this episode, probably. And then hopefully be close to normal later on. We're having shit luck. Yeah. <laughs> With these location. I mean, uh, I don't even know <laughs> where to be. Well, I was wondering. This, this is bad. This is not a good move. No. I was reading reviews on like Rotten Tomatoes or even um, Letterboxd, but then I was also reading actual reviews from Ebert and, you know, they just give it like mediocre reviews. Sure. And I was surprised that this was a movie release, like it actually was in theaters because this looks like a TV movie. It yeah, plays. it kind of looks like a TV movie, but I mean, the, I think the only thing that really speaks theatrical about it is the cast. Yeah, every... It has a, a big, well-known cast. I mean, I, most of them are in early roles of their careers, but still got a good bunch of people there. Um, right, but I mean... I don't know. I mean, you can watch TV shows now with great people in it but i mean yeah i get it yeah but that wasn't the thing back in 91 you i know, know tv like, was seen as like t- a yeah. step down yeah it's like um a lot of movie stars would not be on tv because yeah, yeah. that reason that's like a step down which now you can do both and be yeah now great. nobody cares but that changed around like the mid 2000s right and I don't know. I was just wondering how old 
everyone was and like how old is everyone supposed to be in this movie i don't know i mean i i I guessed like early 30s for most of them like early mid 30s but it's just like assumption it's tough to gauge people's ages uh, just the way that people like kevin bacon he seemed very young and immature but like everyone yeah did i wonder if that was supposed to be his character though i don't know well, okay, I don't know. I don't know where to begin. It's just like yeah. Well, first it it begins with like Joe Mantegna. He's climbing that rope of the bridge, and I was like, "What's the significance of this?" He's a little kid. Yeah, but uh, what's this the is meaning like a ten-year-old of... version of him climbing this this rope that's attached? He's he's climbing the rope um, as a little okay, kid. It's Hellgate like bridge. Tone, black and white. Um, and his friends are all cheering him on and he makes it to the top and he celebrates. And then it turns to him driving into a car as his older self. And the reason you know it's younger versus older is because obviously the same character, smash cut, uh, but also toothpick in the mouth all the time. And that's how you know. But the significance of the rope thing at the time i don't fully know i know that like kevin bacon's character is telling that story about their the the person they bullied i guess yeah later on and that person also tried to climb the rope and failed right but did they and die <laughs> yeah that's why i was like this is extremely dangerous and i was scared but yeah, I just didn't understand the significance of climbing. Like, what's the point? Just to be like, I'm cool that I did it? Like, bragging rights? I, yeah, I guess so. This movie doesn't really... I don't know, it's kind of like Grand Canyon in a way, in that they say a lot of stuff, but nothing's really fully explained or fleshed out in any meaningful way. You know, there's very basic conversations that are being had there's like snippets of conversations where you start a thought and then it's you cut away to something else that's happening otherwise um you know there's this part where al is trying to get carla back and the whole conversation is basically come on come on what okay okay what and that's the fucking scene um so it's really hard to actually get a grip on what these people are thinking at any given time. Right. And well, what I mean, we are supposed you to can be. tell that Dennis, who's Kevin Bacon, uh, he obviously still has feelings for Patricia. Yeah, Ray is going to marry Patricia or Patty. Yeah, Patty. Whichever you want to say. Um, Patty had a thing with Dennis briefly. And he's still Dennis like... lives in LA now and he's back for this wedding, but he wants to profess his love. It was like a one last chance type of a thing. But then quickly they're both over it and be like, oh yeah, we were terrible for each other. Never mind. And he... I don't like any of these characters except for, I guess, the women. I mean, yeah, I like me. a lot of. Well, I like a lot of the <laughs> well, actresses in this because. Um... 
Okay, Chloe Webb. I was like, oh, I remember her because she was the girlfriend of Danny DeVito in Twins. In Twins. Like, I haven't I, seen Twins in such a long time. But I just, and then Linda Fiorentino, I love. And then um, oh, Jenny Wright is the other one because she's like an 80s person. She oh, she a, had like one scene. She had one scene, but I remember her from like 80s movies. But it was just like all these people where I was like, oh, her, oh, that person. But yeah. it's just like. <laughs> and you even have like Leanne Curtis, who we saw in Rock and Roll High School Forever, as right. like the cashier in that one scene, too. Which she looks it, like. I thought she was Jenny Wright because they had similar <laughs> hair. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I then I was. I'm like, what's the cashier doing at the party? Yeah, that, exactly. But then I was like, wait a second, that's not her. But I, I thought um, the guy who played. So Tony Sporadicus. I thought he was Ray for a really long time because Ray and Vinny looked alike. They do look very similar. Yeah. This. It's weird that Tony, who wrote the movie, also plays Vinny, um, gave himself that role, which I think is probably the the weakest role in the whole movie. Because Vinny's whole thing is really just... He's like just I want to screw around. around. I want to screw people. Um, Very similar to Hanging with the Homeboys. This movie was like a lesser Hanging with the Homeboys to me. Yeah. Yeah, uh, very similar time. vibes it's you know a group of four or five friends who are it's not just one night it's not a whole bunch of like misadventures but it's it's about the relationship between them all but they never in this movie queen's logic they never really have those heart to hearts they never have those moments of revelation and and um come to an impasse or anything like that it's just they are there um, but yeah, it's, it's very similar to the Vinny character in Hanging with the Homeboys, played by Nestor Serrano over there, in that they just want to sleep around. Right. And that's his whole character, is trying to find somebody who he wants to spend more than one night with. Cool. Um, I also hated Al, who's oh, the yeah. main character. I mean- it's not Ray, it's Al, who's the main character uh, that we spend most of the time with, and god he was obnoxious but i mean that's just his personality and um, i don't want to see it for two hours i don't want i don't want to be around somebody like that for two hours right i mean that's why i was wondering why or how he and carla got together i i want this is another thing where it's like they don't explain how these people know each other like Most in of Grand our childhood Canyon. friends, except for Elliot, who somehow found this group, but they don't ever say how. Okay, so Elliot was... I know Elliot was just, like, a roommate of theirs, because he said he right. used to live with, um, like, Al and... Like, it, yeah. these people at various times, like Ray and Al and whatever. So he's just yeah, and currently, the roommate. Currently lives with Ray and Patty. Yeah. So it's... Elliot's like the most fleshed out character of them all Mm -hmm. which isn't saying a whole lot Um, but he at least he at least has a couple monologues where he explains himself and his thought process which means he is 
well-developed. The rest of them, like Al, like I said, he's like, what? Come on. What? Let's go. Or, like, I thought he was going to have this stupid, like, catchphrase at the beginning because he says it twice in, you know, the, I can work with that. Right. Man who's driving around town, sees a random woman and says, oh, look at that big hair. I can work with that. Come on. Let's do this, whatever. Well, the thing uh, is, then, like, he's just hitting on all these women, but he's not actively yes. cheating on his wife. But he's just, right. like, super... But he's still skeezy and gross. Oh, yeah, because when he goes Which into that... Which is supposed to be charming in this movie, but it's just skeezy and gross. Right. And then this movie also reminded me of... Which I... When I was reading about Queen's Logic, I guess there's also just kind of, like, the uh, the tie-in with About Last Night. Because it reminds... Oh, okay. I haven't seen it. Uh, well, it just reminded me so much of James Belushi's character, just like this full of himself kind of like Lothario, like he's a womanizer, but he's he's more about like, I haven't seen that movie in a while, but I, all I remember is like he's just very loud and obnoxious and it's mostly like trying to get his friends laid or whatever. But yeah, and in this case, Al just wants to be the center of attention, but nothing he says is ever interesting. Right. Like he's, he's making just... all these, like, really stupid, non-dad, dad joke type of things, comments. Yeah, that I can work not... with that, which is annoying. Yeah, it's, it's not super clever or funny, but that's the level of humor that you get from Al. And he's shouting at the top of his lungs pretty much at every single turn. He's manhandling people like he's like, you know, talking. he does that like little magic trick in the bar where he's like feeling up girls, including an underage one at the bar. Right. And we know it's underage because she's credited in the credits as underage girl at bar. Um, or when she's talking to the cashier at the grocery store, he physically grabs her. Yeah. And puts her on the counter to talk to her. And that's endearing to Jamie Lee Curtis's character. I just, yeah, but I, getting to Jamie Lee Curtis, I was like, what was her, Jamie Lee Curtis's, uh, like, why was she there? <laughs> she was like the magical. I thought being. she was, she you was like, I mean? like, she just swooped in, and I thought it was, yeah, kind of a magical thing. Like, was she some sort of guardian angel to Al? I think yeah, when, when all is said and done, I think she was meant to be, like, the guardian angel character. But I also think it's meant to put doubts in our mind and also show that Al is faithful to his wife and is not going to cheat with this person who obviously wants to cheat with him. At least on the surface, it seems like that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think it's meant just to show that Al is this really good husband guy, even though he's looking for women to touch and work with at every turn um right i don't know well so that <sighs> night that he's driving around and accosting women that's the same night as um his anniversary with his wife and she's you know at home waiting for him because they were supposed to go out and i don't understand why Okay, so he had to meet Ray at the bar, I guess, in order to facilitate the sale of a picture to a person that they both know. Yeah, but didn't he um, have to get that ring? Because he... But he has the ring. 
the ring wasn't for Ray, which I thought it was, and that's why they had to meet. It was for the wife. Yeah, for Carla. And he just hung out at the bar for hours, making her wait for no fucking reason. Because he's just a dick. Yeah. He's and, just a self-centered asshole who and then just assumes he can do whatever the hell he wants, and people will just go along with it because he's loud and boisterous and charming and whatever right and then when he comes home he knows that he's in trouble and all he has to do is like put on like Barry Manilow or some shit and try to charm his wife but she's just like this is the last time so I'm leaving you and I'm taking the kids yeah and then I thought that was it with their relationship yeah I mean it's not because it's a movie but I, I, yeah, I understand your point. Like it, it should have been. I, I don't understand what anyone sees in Al, but the movie makes it seem like everyone sees something in Al. Yeah, I feel um, like Al is the glue between all of these people. Like maybe he's the reason why everyone's friends with each other. Yeah, it could be a big part of that too. You know, like Al is the social, more of the social butterfly, even though none of them are really shy and reserved, except for maybe Elliot, I guess. Um, right. He's 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 just more inward. He, I don't think he's antisocial. I think he's just more inward. And yeah, it, it could be part of that. But, you know, Carla keeps on saying that you never grew up like you're you're not. You know, you don't take anything seriously. You don't do like in. That's why I was wondering how old are these people? Because I mean, with Dennis, he's like Kevin Bacon seems like he's twenty five or something, but these other people, <laughs> he does seem like he's younger than the other nineteen ninety one movies we've seen him in. Yeah, which and is weird, but it's everyone yeah, else true. seems like early to mid third thirties or something. Yeah. That's why I was like, how do these people... I mean, if they all grew up together, then yeah, maybe Dennis mm-hmm. is younger and he was kind of like... Al was kind of like the older brother, quote-unquote, to him or something. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. They don't really show anything other than that first scene of them as kids where Al climbs through open the others are cheering him on. Yeah. Um, which is meant to set up the big climax at the end which is very anticlimactic right so. <laughs> so when he yeah when he tries to climb it again i was like what is like what is the goal <laughs> i don't know and he doesn't his youth i guess i guess but it's just he but then he doesn't even do it because he, i think no, he gets he's scared. physically unable well, yeah well, <laughs> but he's I able was... to get back to the bridge and not fall off but he does lose the ring in the process on accident right but um, i mean that entire scene just like scared me because i thought he was gonna fall and die i mean it's meant to be a rebirth right because yeah. this is like after he's with grace jamie lee curtis's character in the cemetery she takes the gun that he references multiple times throughout the movie and even pulls on someone else at the party right and she starts shooting and shoots towards him holds him at gunpoint at one point as well not in terms of any actual threat but her idea is this what she calls the john wayne complex where she needs to help people in need and this is her project 
and this is the weird crazy way that she's doing it so after that happens and she drops him off of the bridge he climbs it and you know right he tries to do it but he can't and so he just tosses all of his toothpicks he tosses the gun off the bridge and that's supposed to be his rebirth and like change of character to say look i'm a new man but he also accidentally drops the ring box mm-hmm. so maybe maybe like, him climbing the rope at the beginning was him like the start of his old life that the ways you know what i mean like now he's the top shit because he is the one person who did it and so yeah, now he's he was, like carrying that whole thing he was um, yeah the only one that was able to do it and everyone just yeah so now he him. is like the leader of the town by <laughs> default you know okay all right well whatever um but it still doesn't explain a lot of what the fuck happens in this movie like the fishmongering, right? So Al's a fishmonger. Elliot is also a co-fishmonger. I think they own the place together, perhaps? I don't fully know. Yeah, I was um, confused but... with that because they come in and they say they want to kill their employees. <laughs> Elliot hates it there. He yeah. hates every job he's had, I guess. Um, but yeah, like the other fish workers are throwing fish at Elliot and so he goes into the office where there is a shotgun and he's like, we hired him. We can kill him. Was... And so then they bring them into the office and say, what's going on, Larry, Moe, and Curly? And then that's basically the end of that scene. Yeah, we don't see what happens with... Like, were they fired? Is it just that they wanted to threaten violence? Or like, what the fuck is it all about? Like, well, you don't, so many I don't know why they even bullshit. showed them at their job anyways. You can just say that they're fishmongers. I don't know. I, mean, I don't but, really know, but I think it has something to do with the whole Johnny Clams thing, Joey Clams thing, yeah. which also did not fucking matter. Well, the Joey Clams thing with his nephew. <laughs> I don't know. Right, but who the fuck is Joey Clams? A supposed gangster? Is he a rival? Right, is he a mobster? Like, they don't explain it at all. It's just this big threat where, like, Al immediately, when he hears, hears Joey Clams coming into this bar, he's like, fuck you, Joey Clams. And, like, there's this big beef and big problem with him. He's like, who the fuck does he think he is? He's been watching too many Godfather movies because he's adopting a name like that. And then every single time they see, a, like, a black car, they're like, oh, it's Joey Clams. We gotta, like, like get the fuck away from me, Joey Clams. Yeah, like, this and then, rival. Like, yeah, there's, like, this another rivalry or something that's going on and then at the end of the day joey clams's nephew comes to the party and like i heard you needed a videotape done of your wedding i'm a videographer but the way and that this like, guy oh, was following him around guy. i should i should take the gun off of your face yeah now. but he would that the the nephew was following the friends around town the entire night and Al yeah, because like just off camera, like, where no one else was around except right. for us, the audience, to see. Joey Clam says to his nephew, "He's yours." Yeah, as if it's like so. It gives he's us gonna... the impression that he's that gonna he's kill like him. Nefarious, right? But Al didn't freaking hear that. No one, no one actually heard that. It, it was just for the benefit of the audience. But then, 
Who the fuck is Joey Clams? That doesn't get resolved at all. We know his nephew wants to videotape the wedding. But that's all we ever learn about this whole stupid situation. It's like a running joke in the movie. It's None of the jokes are funny. No. I don't think I laughed a single time. And there are supposed to be jokes in this movie. I think I laughed at Danny, the, the wacky dancing from Dennis. Well, when he pulled a, a muscle. I think I yeah, was mostly laughing when Vinny, when I found out Vinny was Vinny, because I thought Vinny was... Because <laughs> he thought he was Ray. Ray, because I was like, wait, Ray is cheating on P- Patty or Patricia? Because when they show Vinny, like, hooking up with that chick in his place when Al was trying to call him, I was like, oh, my God. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. when Vinny... Um, got with that girl who's the healer. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I th- I didn't laugh, but I just thought that was th- the way that they ended up together. Like when they started howling at the moon? Yeah. Together? Yeah. That was probably like honestly finally... the most legitimately charming moment of the movie. <laughs> right. Like he, he found someone that's like as weird as him or something or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that was like a recurring conversation piece like Dennis is like, you need to find somebody who will howl at the moon. Like, that's the kind of woman you want. Someone who will howl with you. And then he, like, literally howls at this person who he thought rejected him, or who did reject him, and then she howls back. And then, yeah, they go off and they're together. Okay, and Dennis then, uh, doesn't... Yeah. yeah, Dennis doesn't really have, like, a resolution. He's just, like, Dennis upset is that just he's like in hitting... L.A. and failing right. he, as he's... a musician. But he's not saying that he is. He's kind of just, like, talking about how L.A. is so great and blah, blah, blah. Even though he's not doing well over there. But he doesn't want anyone to know that. Even though they all do. Right. Because at the very end, when they're all trying to save Al and, like, get to the bridge before he jumps off this rope. But they're too late. But anyway, um, he's like, yeah, Al gave me money a few times. Did you guys know that? And they're all like, yeah. But that's the thing, like, nobody actually talks to each other about anything real. Not really, because you got Ray, and he wants to be, like, an oil painter. Yeah, he wants to be a painter, and so he's, like, really worried about the the wedding in the first place. But then when Al, when, when Carla leaves Al, that's when, like, everything starts to go into ultra turmoil, because everyone thought that Al had this perfect life, where he has kids and a house and a wife. So he's living the dream, but then Carla shows that not everything is up to appearances. And so Ray's like, I don't know if I want to do this. He's, you know, like, I can't go somewhere else and like paint Rome if I'm married. Right. But they kept on talking about like move, moving away, like to the city, to like Manhattan. Like I... That's where I was. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it, I don't know what I don't know what Ray's goals really were. Patty to, owns a she salon. owns her own She's salon. Yeah, but Ray just um, he's a painter. I mean, he's really good at it. But he, he was just like he's not successful. Right, but I mean, I thought he wanted to move away from Queens to go somewhere to you know become an artist somewhere else because staying in queens you're not gonna get noticed with that but i was like what is he 
Does he want to just go over to Manhattan? Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's that or if he just wants to the ability to travel in general. Right. And he thinks that he can't do that at all if he's married. Um, but Patricia's like, we can do whatever you want. Yeah, it's like, I'm supporting you. I think there's also other things that are going on with Ray because she te- keeps... Patrick keeps on talking about the episodes that he has, you know, indicating, okay. indicating like depression, right? Where like, oh, he, yeah, he snaps out after a while. Um, but they don't dive into that very much either to really help us understand what it means. So like at, at first, Patty's just thinking, oh, well, this is just you know like one of those times where he's, you know, dejected or you know just staying away from everybody whatever like basically insinuating depression without ever saying the word Mm -hmm. um but this movie just doesn't want to go to those places they don't want to talk about the real issues they they want to have come on come on what okay okay what which is what i want (laughs) yeah i want it too like you know that's that's what's needed in this type of movie where it's meant to be about relationships you need to have people actually relating to each other and a lot of that's very much missing because they're all at some sort of a crossroads but no one's talking to each other in any real meaningful way about what that is even to the audience we don't fully know what they want out of life Mm -hmm. that's why i was like still wondering how how old are these people because they seem like it's people who are just coming out of college kind of like that quarter life crisis what's like okay i graduated college now what the fuck do i do in my life but these people are like 10 years older i don't know but they're Um, having those types of crises i don't know (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it, realistically, they can hit at any time, though. So I, I yeah. understand it from that span, standpoint as someone who I has mean, gone yeah. past both ages. Right, um, yeah. I mean, th- they, this is just like another point in time where it's just like, oh, now it's now we're in our 30s and I we should be getting married and having children, but I kind of don't want to do that yet type of thing. I don't right. know. Right, <laughs> Yeah, it's tough because it, it seems like it's a movie where everyone's trying to come to terms with the idea that they do have to grow up, mm-hmm. but none of them are actually talking about that or what it means. But the, then again, Al, I guess at the very end, takes that lead by trying to jump, you know, climb that rope and failing. Right. Um, so maybe he's the start of it. I don't know because the movie ends pretty much shortly thereafter. Um. Like I said, Elliot probably has is the only one who has like a real conversation about it, and I don't remember who he says this to, but he's is talking it... about how he just can't relate to other any other gay men, and it's not because. Um, Was it Marty or Jeremy? He Marty... definitely does not say it to Jeremy because he Jeremy says, I don't is like the type you. of person who he hates. Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember if he says it to Marty or if he says it to, like, Dennis or somebody. Oh, uh, okay, because I know Marty, like, Marty is the other person that lives in the same building as him. Right, and who is supposedly going to be his love interest at the end of the movie, but, yeah, you know, but sort he's of, like, just insinuated. kind of, like, this trumpet player 
or piano player. Piano player. I don't want to say trumpet player. Dennis is That's the Dennis. Tr- yeah. 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 So, and Al is yeah. just kind of like that type of dick who's just like, oh, you're the piano player. I always hear you playing piano all the time and it fucking sucks. And, blah. you know, like that type of person that just, you know. I think the problem with Dennis as a character is that he's basically the exact same as Vinny. I think he wants to. That's why I'm like, is he younger? Because he looks up to to Al because he wants to be like that or something. And Vinny. Like, he wants to be like them. Yeah, like a mix of them. But, I don't know. Elliot has some depth in there. I think um, the other character I liked was Monty. Tom Waits. Oh, Tom Waits. I mean, he was fine, I guess. He was He, he was only in a couple it. scenes, but yeah. he actually did something with this character. I don't know. <laughs> I think a lot of his... It seemed like his dialogue was probably a little bit more improvised, perhaps. But, you know, he he brought something to it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I understood what he wanted more than anyone else in the movie. So Yeah, he's the the guy that everyone goes to for things because didn't he give Al yeah, the ring he's, he's, like, he's the, just like the back end dealer he's yeah. yeah he's he's the back alley jeweler who gives Al the ring and yeah he's sort of just like the the guy who can get you stuff and everyone knows he's yeah that's it um, yeah and then I that, think that's he it but he just of... has a couple scenes where he's you know there and it, more humorous yeah, but I don't know if he had, like, a thing for Carla or Patricia. I don't really know. I don't know if it was real or not. But or yeah, if he, he was just he kind of like... says, well, now that you both are off the market, then there's nothing left for me. Or, yeah, he's probably just, you know, saying that just to be charming or nice or whatever. Yeah. He was, he was definitely more charming than Al. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just—it's just like a matter of few of a few days. It's just like it starts with the anniversary of Al and Carla, and then you know Carla leaves them, and then they're also planning this bachelor party for Ray. But then Carla and Patricia are also having their own separate party for them. But then they meet up later, and then it's also just them preparing for this wedding, if it's going to happen. Yeah, there's this a lot of questions about will this happen, will it not happen? And then any other, you know, as they go around and try to get the supplies for it, they're inviting every random stranger that they come across to be like, hey, yeah, come to this party, it'll be fun. Right. Yeah, because they're going to get married, like, in the park, basically, by that bridge. Yeah, underneath that bridge. Which I, I don't understand the you know the actual significance of that, um, I mean, other than they probably as filmmakers were able to get permits to it. I don't know. That's why I, um, I, I mean it's a big, big it's Astoria Park. If I'm looking at this now, but it's just like a big park. But yeah, I was like, did they get permits? Because I mean, at the very end, they see them putting down like a carp like the a train or a carpet or something. And yeah, but that's all you to... see, so you didn't even need permits for a big wedding scene because you don't see a big group of people. Like tables you don't see and a stuff. Ceremony. It just seems you just like see a people rolling things out. Right. And then it pans up. Right. Um. 
I don't know. I just, I, I couldn't get into it. I just. Uh, me neither. <laughs> well, <laughs> like I was the, the trying scripted, to, like to like someone or, I mean, I, I like these, I like all of the actors in this. Yes. But character wise, it was like the, the two it wasn't lead like women. going anywhere. Yeah. Elliot and Monty. And that was about it. I don't know. Like the, the, it just seemed like it was very stage play in terms of like its, its script and structure, and it seemed like Oscar, you know, the Sylvester Stallone movie in mm-hmm. terms of like some of like the situations at times and the way things played out, just very like slapsticky. But not uh, really. Is I don't know. Like it, early early movie, it did seem that way. Maybe just because, like, the, the way the, the fight happened between Carla and Al. Right. And, like, how everything was so frantically paced where it seemed like one scene was ending so quickly and going right into the next without any real cohesion at all. That was similar to how Oscar was. But I, it's just, I didn't understand what the hell anybody wanted at any given time. And Al was way too obnoxious. Ray, who's like supposed to be kind of like the main impetus of all this stuff, he has some moments. Again, Ken is not Ken Olin is not a bad actor at all. Um, I think he just gets overshadowed by all these boisterous people around him. I think he had something. I think he had likable characteristics that were there, but he didn't get the dialogue to support what his character should have been. I never got the, the the real understanding of what he was wanting, what he was trying to resolve within his head, rather than just general doubts of, oh man, should I get married or not? Right. You know, there should have been more to him. And it's just, well, I think once they had their separate bachelor, bachelorette party and then all of a sudden Patty is like okay, I'm going to go talk to Ray so she's just going to go to his bachelor party even though he's just in his room painting. Well, he's like asleep while the girl She's painting, but she comes on She's to painting him. naked because she's like hitting on him. Yeah, but I mean, this is a party for him. She comes up to him and she's like, oh, can you just show me your room? Because I want to see your paintings. And they talk about his art and she's all into it. And all of a sudden, Patty goes to his room or their room because, I mean, they live together. I don't know. Um, and she's like topless painting. And I was like, why, all, why did she have to get topless to paint? And he's just on his well... bed sleeping i mean I again mean, they, they made it seem like he was going to cheat but also maybe not because he seemed like he was starting to fall asleep um but he also like was he at this really point in the movie to? he knew that the wedding was not going to happen right okay. he had already called off the wedding to everyone except for to patty yeah um and so he's a free man maybe he will sleep with this girl because she's clearly hitting on him but then it's, at a certain point, she also seems to be a little bit more focused on the art than anything, but she talks about being like his muse or whatever, or like, you know, being an inspiration to him. And so that's probably why she's topless is, you know, something happened off screen where she's trying to be like inspirational. Like nude or whatever. Yeah, let me model for you. 
Um, but then but, he just yeah, passes she comes, out she, and she just paints. She, she just walks in and it's Asha, who's Jenny Wright. She's just painting something on his bed, topless, and he's just sleeping. And then Patty's like, oh, okay, I get it. But then Dennis sees her, and then it's like that's when he decides to confess his feelings to her. Like all of this is happening in like two minutes. But yeah. then Ray wakes up, and he he's like, "What's going on between you and Dennis?" Type of thing. Like, am I interrupting you guys? And it was like this weird. Um, miscommunication or misunderstanding between it but then that was it but and then that's when patty had like this whole monologue about you know i choose you and whatever like i whatever you want to do that's when she gets into like the whole you're i'm queens yeah marry me because i am queen so yeah. wherever we go you'll be home right which i was kind of confused with because I thought they wanted to leave or something to do something about Ray's career on being a painter I don't know I really <laughs> don't and it just it, everything yeah just goes all over the place and I really do hate these types of movies and situations which are very common in the 90s where anything could be just explained if there's a conversation that happens, right? Because like even something as simple as like the anniversary misunderstanding, there are plenty of opportunities where Al could have said, look, I, I was going to give you this ring, but I didn't get a chance to. Yeah, or instead I, he just I was late at the bar because of this. But right. instead he's like, come on, come on. What? I'm going to keep on going to that, that whole situation because there's like empty space, there's pauses, there's opportunities to actually say what you feel and no one ever does. And that creates the tension that's just false. Because if anyone actually wanted to say the thing that was actually on their mind, there wouldn't be any movie. It's all based around this bullshit where nobody actually says the thing that would have resolved the situation. And so it escalates. And that bugs the crap out of me and it's everywhere in this. Yeah. But I mean, and... I mean, but then that's when we get to Jamie Lee Grace, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Al with their scene. Like they go off because they have a moment together, and she takes them to a cemetery, and that's when they do the whole they're talking to each other, and she takes his gun and like starts shooting at him, and then he go i mean after that whole thing that's when he climbs up the bridge but when he doesn't climb the bridge he realizes you know i'm just gonna throw out all my toothpicks because apparently carla hates i mean that's like his well, use. grace grace <laughs> says that she hates them oh so but she, like, like carla he's, he's really confirming like, to what grace wants because he assumes that that's what everyone wants. But Car like, so I thought Carla just was like, I don't. I mean, it, the toothpick thing is annoying. He constantly has a toothpick in his mouth, yeah. like that's his thing. So he, yeah, and there's like supposedly a couple of jokes around the toothpicks where like you know he gets punched by the wife and then like oh the toothpick was broken in his mouth. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. And 
he just goes to Car- uh, Carla staying with her mother, I'm assuming. And yeah, that's when he just they. I don't know. They <laughs> they get back yeah, together. The friends, the, so yeah, Al calls the friends and says, hey, "I love you all. I'm going to be doing this thing." Yeah, um, but and then they sort of like they a, tell Carla sort of like a possible goodbye, um, but hopeful that he'll make it. And then they all rush, sort of like at the end of uh, you know. Um, that Spanish movie we saw, <laughs> they all rushed to the, the tower to try to stop him from doing this thing, but they're too late. Oh. And uh, he he's already gone. But they search the beach for signs of the body, but they find the ring box. And then they're like, "Oh, well, he must have gone to go get Carla back if he's not dead." So they all go to Carla's house, and that's also where Patty is because Patty ran away after the whole situation with the the girl in the the room, and so. Vinny, or not Vinny, um, Al is on his knees saying, hey, I got you this ring. I didn't give a chance to give it to you before all is forgiven. And then Patty and Ray. Like everyone is well in the world. And like everyone made up and Carla throws the ring to Ray and Patty. And she's like, here, this pays for your honeymoon. And then that's like the end, basically. Yeah. And then you just see them setting up in that park for the wedding. It was long. It was too long. Yeah. When, well, when I pressed play, it said two hours. I was like, what the fuck? I think that but, includes commercials. Yeah, that includes the, that. Yeah, that included the commercials. But I was like, two hours with this movie? Yeah. It's... Like, there's a couple of parts I'm like, what the fuck is up with this movie? And, like, what the fuck is with the cat in the pants? Like, what is going on? Like, what's, yeah. why is there a random girl doing coke in the bathroom? Like, that's, it's meant to be like a, it's just. Is it commentary it for something? Anything. I don't even know. Because they were like, mm-hmm. no, we don't do drugs. But they're just looking at her like, she's so cool. She's doing drugs. It's like, yeah, she's like, God damn, you're sexy. End of scene. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, great fucking joey clams man uh, but in terms of like awards it did get one spirit nomination it was uh john malkovich got a supporting actor nomination for this which i understand you know I, I think he did a really good job he actually had nuance to his delivery but i mean even the music like the music is good in this it's mostly like motown hits or like 50s 60s yeah. 70s hits but even like the non like the score the music score. i think it was good but it didn't really fit the movie or the scenes so it kind of like goes with the whole thing like these actors are good just not in this yeah for the most part i don't know um shall we go through cast and crew yeah Okay. Uh, so we got Steve Rash is the director of this. He started out by doing the buddy. Well, actually he started out in like music video territory in the seventies. Uh, but he went on to buddy Holly story. Um, and then he would did can't buy me love. He did son in law, uh, and Eddie, the dinosaur movie with, <laughs> with, uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Um, okay. and then he did uh, a couple of like directed DVD sequels. American pie presents band camp, bring it on all or nothing, bring it on in it to win it and road trip beer pong. So that's the direction his career has taken, unfortunately, at this point. Um, Tony Spiridakis, 
in terms of acting, he's done Death Wish 3 and a whole bunch of TV guest spots. Um, in 1991, he was in episodes of L.A. Law, as well as a show that we have not talked about before called Monsters, okay. which was probably like a basic cable type of a show. It seemed like an anthology thing, sort of like Tales from the Crypt. Um, as a writer, he did The Heights, which was a TV show in 1992 that lasted for 13 episodes. He did The Last Word, uh, the story for If Lucy Fell, and also uh, the movie Tinseltown. Um, I'm going to skip over some of the actors because we've seen some of them before, like Kevin Bacon and Tom Waits and Jamie Lee Curtis. Even Terry Kinney as Jeremy, the, the dickish, snobby dude. Uh, Leanne Curtis, whatever. Um and Joe Mantegna we'll see again in 1991's Homicide, so we'll talk about him later, too. Linda Fiorentino is also in 1991's Shout. She is BAFTA-nominated and a spirit winner for The Last Seduction. She got her start doing things like Vision Quest, After Hours, and then went on to do Beyond the Law, Jade, Men in Black, and Dogma, and then uh, fell out of the acting world not too long after that. Um, John Malkovich as Elliot, Oscar-nominated for Places in the Heart, and in The Line of Fire, Emmy-nominated for Death of a Salesman, RKO 281 in Napoleon, Spirit Award winner for producing Juno and Perks of Being a Wallflower, MTP Movie Award nomination for Best Villain for In the Line of Fire. I guess I need to see In the Line of Fire. I didn't know he was such a great role. Um, he's also in 1991's Object of Beauty and Shadows of Fog. He's been in things like Killing Fields. Dangerous Liaisons, Con Air, Shadow of the Vampire, Red 1 and 2, and of course, being John Malkovich. Uh, Ken Olin is Ray. He is an Emmy-nominated producer four times over for This Is Us, which he has also directed episodes of. Uh, he is a Golden Globe nomination for acting in 30-something. He was in Hill Street Blues, Falcon's Crest, uh, L.A. Doctors, It, Brothers and Sisters, which he also produced and directed. Um, on the producing and directing side, which is what he spends most of his time doing now, he's done Alias, Sleepy Hollow, and Man in the High Castle, amongst several others. Uh, Chloe Webb played Patricia, Emmy-nominated for China Beach. In the 1991 year, she also did the TV movie Lucky Day with Olympia Dukakis. Uh, she started out doing Sid and Nancy, where she played Nancy and twins we mentioned earlier, uh, Heart Condition and Practical Magic. And then... Um, couple other major people that we have in this <laughs> movie um, but first we'll talk about Jake who's the bartender uh, Ed Marinaro he was on a whole bunch of episodes of Hill Street Blues he was in Laverne Shirley Blue Mountain State and he also played Joey Buttafuoco and Amy Fisher in My Story the TV movie um, in 1991 he's in Midnight Caller also in an episode of Monsters and he's also in Sisters for 75 episodes including the ones in 1991 um, I mentioned him because it's a little bit of a pausing on the credits. He is a former uh, NFL football player as well as a college football Hall of Famer. He was the Heisman runner-up in 1971 where he played at Cornell University. He then went on to play for the Vikings, Jets, and Seahawks in the NFL. And in 1991, Ed was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Um there are a couple other like cameos for big names like Richard Kind is in there for like a brief split second and <laughs> just credited as actor uh, and then he's talking to Cecil played by Todd Field who started off as an actor and has since gone on to be a director uh, for In the Bedroom Little Children and most recently Tar 
which got him a total of six Oscar nominations amongst those three movies. Spirit Award winner for Best Feature Film, Best First Feature Film for um, In the Bedroom. Spirit nominated for acting in Ruby in Paradise. He's also acted in Gross, Gross Anatomy, End of Innocence, Twister, Eyes Wide Shut, Once and Again. And he was also in the 1991 pilot for Look Well, which we talked about a long time ago. He was like one of the actor kids in, in that show with uh, Adam West hmm. that we talked about. Yeah, I saw uh, that. Megan. Uh, oh, Megan. Okay, you're going to say. <laughs> I saw that Megan yeah. Mullally was in it, but I was like, who was she? Yeah, she was Dolores. She was the, the one that Vinny slept with that threw up. Oh, okay. Because I yeah. thought she was the healer, <laughs> but I was like, that no, doesn't no. look like her. No, yeah, she's credited as Dolores, who is the person who um, he brought home, and so the voicemail message was playing while they were trying to uh, okay. get it on, and then she got sick, and then the joke was that she still wanted to kiss after throwing up. Uh, um, Megan Mullally, two-time Emmy winner and six-time nominee for Will & Grace, four Golden Globe nominations as well for that role. Uh, was in Risky Business, Once Bitten, Parks and Recreations, Children's Hospital, Bob's Burgers, The Great North. And in 1991, she was in the TV shows Dear John, My Life and Times, and Herman's Head. Which we surprisingly haven't talked about too much of Herman's Head. That hasn't come up on... It must have been like a Tuesday I or some maybe... day that doesn't typically have movies. I've seen... I've seen it on, like, the TV guide and stuff, but yeah, I don't think I really spoke about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. We mostly talk about Friday and Saturday movies or Wednesdays, so maybe yeah, maybe that's probably why. Um, and then Joe Jackson did the music. I don't know if you're going to talk about him a whole lot more, uh, but in terms of composing, I can say that he did uh, the Private Eye TV show. He did the movie Tucker, The Man in His Dreams, Three of Hearts, and then he also did an interactive movie called I'm Your Man, which um, came out in like 1992, but it got like a, a another boost when DVD started to become popular in 1997. And it's something that I always wanted to look at because it has a lot of people from the state TV show hmm. as part of the cast. Uh, but Joe Jackson did not do a whole lot of like movie conducting after this. This is virtually like one of the only ones he's ever did. But um that's all I got, and if you want to move on to true crime and pop culture, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about Joe. Yeah, I was going to say that Joe, this was Joe Jackson, this was his third movie score, and it looks like his last, but it they never released a soundtrack album for this movie. Which is kind of weird, because there are a lot of I mean, the music in it is hits. really good, and even, like, his scoring is good. So, I think ma mainly because this movie did not do well. It's, like, Queen's Logic was filmed in 1989, but it was, like, shelved for a couple oh. years. And it, once it was released in 1991, it was very limited the theatrical release. And then... It started to get bad reviews, so they closed it quickly. So I think maybe the that was the reason. Yeah, it made just slightly more than half a million dollars. It's number 185 on our box office performance list. Yeah, that's why I was like, why are we watching this? Because <laughs> it, it only made like... <laughs> Like yeah, the it's a theme thing, and also we had a copy. We just it yeah, just okay. the schedules worked out because the get budget to watch was our actual copy. Yeah, the budget was twelve million, but they oh, only gosh. yeah they only made like a little over half. When I was like, yikes. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's rough. And um, just a little about Joe Jackson, because, I mean, he's been around since forever. I have no idea. <laughs> I just well, know him because he late does... Late 70s or something? Uh, yeah, late 70s. Yeah, late 70s. I just know him because he... He has he uh, created my favorite song ever, but um, and he's only had like a couple of hits at least here in the U.S. But I mean, he's an English musician, and his first hit was "Is She Really Going Out with Him?" That was in 1979, and he was doing a lot of uh, he likes to change up his music style. In the beginning in 1970s, he was trying to, in the early 80s, he was trying to do like more new wave, which is probably why I liked, you know, Stepping Out. And then he, that Stepping Out was released in 1982, which was his top hit in the US. And then after that, he started to get more into jazz. And so changed... Stepping Out was a bigger hit than Is She Really Going Out with Him? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe it's just like revisionist history or that it was in there's something about Mary that made me think it was such a large song. Oh, really? I mean, it says that, I mean, is she really going out with him was his first hit, but it wasn't a top 10 hit like Stepping Out was. Stepping Out, like, we talked about this privately before, but I was, Joe Jackson performed that on SNL. Yeah. And back when I was in college, Comedy Central would play old episodes of SNL um, with the musical guests late at night from like the 80s, like the dead period where Lorne Michaels wasn't the, the host. That's where Joe Jackson performed it. Yeah. And I heard that song for the very first time while I was falling asleep and I woke up specifically to learn what the hell that song was. <laughs> so like, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, it, I mean, it it's a top ten. It's, it's one of my favorites for sure, too. Yeah, and then the reason, <laughs> I mean, it it became my favorite song like of all time, and this is mainly because of like Ally McBeal. <laughs> where did you ever watch Ally McBeal though? No, I oh, didn't. Okay, well, there is like um. There's an episode or a few episodes where Ally McBeal is talking to like a therapist and the therapist is like, you need to have a signature song. So what is your signature song? And then me watching Ally McBeal, I was like, what is my signature song? It's like something where it was like, you know, gets you going through the day. And then I always thought that like stepping out was my signature song, but whatever. Um, so moving on to like, once he got into the nineties, he, he tried to do more classical and I know he comes, he still, uh, tours a lot, but it's just like, I don't know if I ever wanted to see him cause I only want to see him do like two, three songs, <laughs> but, but, and then I'm like, what if he just plays like, you know, stuff from, like, because he still kind of releases albums, and I'm just like, what if he wants to play only what's on the most recent album, you know? And then I'm there just listening to it, hoping for a step an hour or some shit. I don't know. Yeah, you'd almost have to do some research into set lists to know. Yeah, for that's sure why I'm like, oh, he's. Because I've seen so many times, I'm like, oh, he's coming to Chicago. But then I'm like, I don't know. 
But anyways, in, in the late 90s, he started to expand into classical music and he released and a few albums called Symphony Number no. One, and that won him a Grammy for Best Pop Instrumental Album in the early 2000s. He did release an album in 1991 called Laughter and Lust that was released in April, and I was trying to look to see if it was the music that he did in Queen's Logic, but it doesn't look like it is. Because, I mean, that movie was technically in 89, so I don't know if he did that, you know, in 89. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It, my guess is it's probably not related it's not, at all. Because I, I was looking, um, I mean, since there is no soundtrack release, but on IMDb it shows the soundtrack, but it's only the songs that we're playing, not the score. So it doesn't even show joe jackson at all so i was trying to look up the names of the songs that he did in the movie but i couldn't even get a name for it yeah i don't know if any of the songs had names since it was all like just non-vocal yeah it was just you know know, kind of like a jazzy whatever but i I remember like Vinny's theme or some right crap like that yeah so yeah that the album had what stranger than fiction which i think was probably his biggest hit off of that album Mm-hmm. And um, in 2005, he Joe Jackson was actively campaigning against smoking bans in both the United States and in the UK. So he published a pamphlet called The Smoking Issue, and then he did an essay called Smoke Lies and the Nanny State, okay. which... And then he recorded a satirical song called In 2003 about banning smoking in bars. And I just, I was like, okay, dude, you're really mad about this. But um, I read a little bit, I mean, the the issue that he, the pamphlet and the uh, essay is kind of long and I didn't really want to like get into it (laughs) because it's I mean it's 20 pages long but I just kind of like scam scan scan through but it just like in the beginning he says for thousands of years um tobacco has been a friend to mankind it has been used (laughs) i was like what the fuck it has been used to relax to stimulate and to treat various ailments and i was like why is this pro smoking i just kind of stopped i was like am i a fan of him or no i'm like (laughs) i was like what the great artist dilemma is like how do you separate the artist from the art i was like why are you so pro smoking this this is your cause this is a weird yeah and in the in the lyrics in this song that it's called 2003 he released it in 2004 um the lyrics criticizes the decisions of new york mayor in the year 2003 to ban smoking in every bar and club stating that secondhand smoke was killing thousands of new yorkers And this is another quote where he says, I don't feel like a place is civilized unless they let me smoke. 
and if they don't let me smoke, I re I feel really insulted. I hate the whole nanny state. I don't understand nanny state. Like I know is that yeah, I think it's more used in in Britain than over here. But yeah, the the idea is yeah. Oh, okay. It's just the like, government is your babysitter and you're like overprotection. Okay. Overreach. Yeah, I hate the whole nanny state thing. And then he says they're entitled to inform us about things, but after that, leave us alone. And that's when he um, made this active campaign against smoking bans and released that pamphlet in 2005 and then that essay in 2007. Like, he is still mad about that. <laughs> I don't know if he's currently mad about it. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, it probably interesting. is. And then he wrote an autobiography, but this was in 1999, so it wasn't like anything pro-smoking, so I don't know. And it it's just a book about his music and then his life. Biography is called A Cure for Gravity. And just all of these things that I'm reading about him, I was like, I don't, do I like this guy? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, musically, sure. Yeah, why not? Like, yeah, there, there's a lot more. There's a lot more troubling people in the world than people who are pro smoking. Yeah, I know. And and he's just he's released 21 albums, and the last one he did was in 2019. And that's the last thing I read about him. I don't know if he's doing anything currently, but I know he has been touring because I've seen him come around here, and. I didn't say this before, but this movie was released on February 1st, 1991, and that was a Friday, and that was the day, the same day as Popcorn, and then it was the day after Mediterraneo was released. So that's why you focused on Joe Jackson over anything else. Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we talked about was already in Popcorn or in Mediterraneo. Like yeah, TV. No or... episode of Herman's Head to talk about. I haven't again. seen that on our list. I mean, I've seen it when I look through the TV guides, but I don't see, I don't know what day Herman's Head came on, but it wasn't a Friday. Yeah, I'm also curious now about this monstrous TV show. If I go to the IMDb page for Monsters, for Monsters, the TV show, it says it ran from 1988 to 1990, but there were two actors that were in this movie that supposedly had episodes that aired in 1991. Well, it says so that I it re-ran from 1988 to 1991, and it was on the Sci-Fi channel. But usually when they're credited on imdb it's the it's earlier from date? the original air date that they that they reference so they wouldn't repeat they wouldn't i don't know whatever um if you want to watch an episode of monsters at some point it's on the roku channel so we could actually like check out one randomly <clears throat> sure um, for now we can move on to rankings and ratings where on your one to five star scale are you going to put queen's logic i don't even <laughs> yes you do you know where it's going <laughs> It's just, I guess I'm just going to give this another one. I mean, I was just kind of like, I wanted to like it because I like these people. Like the actors. I mean, same thing with Grand Canyon. <laughs> I like the actors in Grand oh, yeah. Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. On my 
zero to four star scale. I think I'm going to go with a one as well. I kind of have thought about giving it a half because I really just didn't, I don't know, like it, it lost me very early on and nothing about it brought me back in. I don't know. I, I guess I'm going to go with a one. It's every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? No. No. Yeah. I mean, if it just made me want the... to watch Hanging with the Homeboys again. Yeah, we have the DVD. Like, I want to watch the uh, like if there's any credit, like any uh, behind the well, not behind the scenes, oh, behind but... the scenes and special features trailers. Yeah, I want to see like trailers or if there's anything post credits. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird that I actually, I don't know. Not a lot of movies made it to DVD. I know that a lot did, but compared to the VHS days, mm-hmm. where everything was on VHS no matter what, um, DVD is kind of like a barren wasteland. So it's honestly a little bit surprising that this movie that had such a massive failure at the box office was put out. On, a D- on DVD. Yeah, I'm surprised. And it didn't just stay in VHS for all time. Like I'm wondering if this was ever on cable, but I don't, I don't remember My guess this is, at yeah, all. Yeah, probably, and maybe it was released on DVD so that they could try to recoup some of the money lost. Be like, okay, we'll put it in the rental market in both avenues and hopefully make some money back. But I don't know. It's not. Yeah, I, I would not want to watch this again. There are so many other buddy movies. There's yeah. so many other New York centric movies. There's so many or New York centric buddy so movies many that other are better coming than of this. age dramas or comedy dramas. Yeah. That's not like I would rather just watch like I don't see no fire or some shit. I don't know. Oh sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like I'm thinking of all these other types of movies that were somewhat similar. I don't know. Yeah, this just doesn't give you enough of anything to make anyone want to come back and watch it again. Uh, But if you out there do want to watch Queen's Logic, as of this recording in July 2023, it's available on Peacock, Tubi, Pluto TV, Freebie, Roku, VHS, or DVD. Not digital rental, though. So they're not recouping money because they don't have any digital rental fees you can get. Uh, But as always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. We're continuing our coast-to-coast travels by going back to the West Coast for L.A. Story. That's available on digital rental, a very expensive visual rental, and VHS and DVD. We'll see you then. Thanks.